Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. All right, and we're recording for Contrarians Corner for Annie. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by Julio. Julio, how are you doing on this nasty Wednesday evening in Austin, Texas? I am fully convinced that the sun will come out tomorrow. It fucking better. It's been raining nonstop. Uh, We are here today to tackle uh, not our first musical, first one in a while, though, Annie. And not only just tackle Annie, but the modern interpretation of Annie. We're not going back too far in history, just about five years to the 2014 uh, remake, rebirth, reboot of Annie. That's how recent it was. The franchise. That Hollywood got woke. (laughs) So Annie, of course, based on the musical Annie, which was based on the comic strip Little Orphan Annie, which was based on a poem from the 1800s called Little Orphan Annie. Which was based on uh, an God, actual orphan. God knows, yeah. Annie. Something chiseled into stone from the 1700s. Uh, you can't say that it was, I mean, if it was way back then, there were no foster homes. So <laughs> she definitely was an orphan. Yes. It was not yet offensive. I could not believe you said you had never seen any iteration of Annie prior to this evening. Yeah. I mean, I like I told you, I was aware of the story. I knew the very yeah, basics. I would, yeah. Little girl with no parents, uh, kind of... Sun will come out tomorrow. Hard knock life. Daddy Warbucks. Step three, profit. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Getting a bit of ahead of ourselves here. If this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, uh, what we do here on our podcast is, as we like to say, rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. Find a movie that's particularly highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes with a big, fresh red tomato. Make a case for why it isn't that... And, of course, the inverse of that is finding a movie like the one we're covering this evening, a nasty green splotch, a rotten film, uh, and making a case for why it is not that. And with Annie, uh, it's at a meager 28%, so there's definitely some room for encouragement here. Yeah. Um, if you want to know uh, how we really feel about the movie, just wait for the second half of the show, Contra- uh, not Contrarian's Quarter, <laughs> Real Talk, where you find All out jumbled. if uh, you find out if we really liked it. Or not. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't. Uh, but yeah. We keep things spicy. <laughs> you don't know what's coming. I mean, even now. <laughs> I don't even know if Alex liked Annie or not, but we're going to talk like we did, at least, for, for the first part of the show. Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Quotes. 
Got a few here, starting with Alistair Ryder from Film Inquiry, who says, Every time it seems that Hollywood may finally be winding down with their producing of endless, unnecessary remakes, a movie like Annie comes along to remind us just how creatively bankrupt the mainstream movie industry is. And that was five years ago. <laughs> it, it That's just like you every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Whether we're talking about remakes or not, this guy is just like your soulmate. Channeling the spirit of my uh, contrarian Alex. Alistair Ryder Mattis. <laughs> His full name. Uh, Paul Chambers from Movie Chambers says, Despite an authentically enthusiastic performance by Oscar nominee Gouvenjene Wallace, Annie sinks and sinks hard with the sounding of more than a few false notes. forgot she was actually nominated for... Was she? For this? No, for... No, 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 for okay. Beast of Southern Wild, yeah. No. This... <laughs> okay, hey. This was uh, snubbed at the uh, 2015 Oscars. Uh, Cameron Diaz, specifically. <laughs> Uh, finally, Adrian Newtonschwater from Consequence of Sound says, Annie is easily one of the worst movies of the year. It's dull, offensive, poorly acted, and dreadfully choreographed. Save the most brutal for last. Yeah. I, I, there's a few points of contention there. I mean, the worst movie of 2014? No, it couldn't have been. There's no way. No. Just to set the tone here, the way this movie begins is letting you know that we're in for a new generation because the first shot of the movie and Hulu, you've never seen any, any production, but you know, the, the stereotypical, the, the archetype of Annie is that of a freckled white girl, white girl with red hair. So that's what we open on. It, it looks like it's in school somewhere and they're doing like show and tell or a presentation of some sort. The worst school in the world. Yes. Because just to spoil a little ahead, somehow they haven't figured out that Annie can't read. There's a big reveal later in the movie. <laughs> it's this this movie is a condemnation of the school system, of the foster care system, of uh, politics, and the a, American public, everything. And at the time was a very frightening uh, preamble to what would overtake the White House two years later. An unwitting prophecy. <laughs> so we get what we think to be Annie boot off the stage. We start with an eye roll saying, no, this, this ain't your grandpa's Annie anymore. Whitey go away. <laughs> so Annie Bennett, is that her last name here? Kavanjane Wallace? Yes. Yes. Annie Bennett. That is the new Annie for a new generation. Uh, takes the helm. And we learn quickly that life is music. It's a, one of those, you know, old commercials for VH1 or MTV where, you know, you can make music out of anything. Uh, trash cans clanging, things of that nature. Uh, and the opening of the, the opening credits, she just wanders out of the school, by the way. No no supervision. <laughs> Worst school ever. It's a medley of all the classic Annie tracks. We get a Jay-Z cameo um, and all of the classic Annie, Hard Knock Life, Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, I'm going to like it here. They're all blended in together in this opening. It's montage. a medley that I think it was necessary to reassure you that they knew what Annie was about. Because, you know, for any any older generation people that were freaking out when suddenly Annie was black, <laughs> like, oh, my God, it's this in the wrong hands. No, <laughs> look, we got all the songs. They're we saying, yeah, this may be something that you're not used to, but, you know, we're going to make it comfortable for you. Annie's looking for her parents as always, um, as always with the story of Annie, I apologize, uh, pulls up outside of an Italian restaurant uh, every Friday. I, it's never truly flushed out why. Is that where she was left? Uh, no. Yes. Right? Because she says that that's where the letter was. At some point, she references a letter. And uh, 
what I missed was the part where she realized that her parents only ate cannoli. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing, like, this is the only restaurant that serves cannoli in New York. I guess, and like... And only on Friday. So that narrows down the window where she can find her and parents. And cannoli is the only thing they eat, I don't know how she bought the proposed parents later, that they weren't just like some morbidly obese, diabetes-ridden people. And they would say, after we lost you, we quit the cannoli. <laughs> we never had that sweet, sweet cannoli again. Uh, we meet our titular character, as we mentioned, Kavanjane Wallace and Annie, and then our co-star i guess he plays second fiddle to this he, he doesn't get the and credit but he's uh i think he got actually top billing i was looking at the dvd case of it a jamie fox vehicle yeah annie academy award winner jamie fox who plays the modern equivalent of papa warbucks william stacks who uh who is now the 2014 equivalent of donald trump <laughs> yes minus the intelligence of operating a cellular phone company <laughs> uh but he does it's phones right Smartphones. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has a smartphone empire. Uh, long story short, the skinny of it is he's running for the mayor of New York. And his secretaries, agents, advisors. Right and left hands. Mike Pence and uh, <laughs> Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> you know, this is, I mean, it really is the 2014 version of Trump in the sense that this is filtered through the lenses of the, the Obama presidency where we could all laugh about this. You know, and then once it becomes like a billionaire, real, like running for political office, right? isn't it so funny that Jamie Foxx is completely clueless and disconnected from life? And so, like, absolute real talk, just cutting in here to Contrarian's Corner. His first interview where they ask why he wants to run for mayor. Keep in mind, this is 2014. He says, I used to love this city and I want to make it great again. And me and Julio just like <laughs> looked at each other like, what the fuck? There are so many moments like this during the movie, which it's. I don't know if it, how many of those were conscious, but it's like Will Gluck and the filmmakers, they had their, their finger on the pulse of what was happening before anybody else. Cause like Obama and the Democrats were still celebrating. They they were feeling great about uh, how things were going in America. Will Gluck and the people behind Annie, they just could see it coming. Prophetic. Uh... They just couldn't tell us directly enough. They had to make it into a fairy tale about a black girl being adopted by a black millionaire. Just imagine like, years from now to prohibit or like the past playing out the way it is William Gluck is sent back like in Looper and assassinated <laughs> so Jamie Foxx, William Stacks, Daddy Warbucks, I called him Papa Warbucks there Daddy Warbucks character, meet him so we go from one A-list oh actually, actually, we didn't, we didn't even mention their names who? the A's oh I'm sorry, yeah we got too far off into the uh, in, political discussion into the discussion. real talk no, the, the fucking the meat and potatoes of the film here. We have Rose Byrne who plays Grace and Guy played by one of Julio's favorites and a contrarian staple, Bobby Cannavale. Don't act like you don't like him. I have his name written as Rob Cannavale here in my notes. <laughs> when he's not leading, he's Rob. Yes. When yeah. he's leading, man, he's Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> Never Robert. <laughs> but they're there to guide him along the way in this hopeful campaign and transition into becoming the mayor of new york to fall on that cliche they're the the angel and the devil on his shoulders exactly both fittingly and you know Cannavale's hair starts getting coiled <laughs> towards the end of the movie and uh jamie fox the william Sachs character very neurotic very spoiled very uh the finer things in life and always has a bottle of windex and a thing of um sanitizer hand sanitizer yeah. with him yeah so we go from 
you know, the highest highs to the lowest lows, both A-listers, but, you know, as far as the characters written for them. We go from William Stacks to Colleen Hannigan, who is played by the incomparable Cameron Diaz, who is a drunken has-been who claims to be in the CNC Music Factory, have, having been in the CNC Music Factory. Uh, she's now running a foster home that she makes it clear off the back that is just for the money that comes with it. It's six girls or so, and he's one of them. Uh, it's Cameron Diaz playing against a uh, character, which I don't know. I mean, have you ever seen her play somebody that was this unlikable on purpose? I guess that's a solid question. I'd have to really think about it. I mean, I, I was I was doing it during the movie. I was trying to think if she's ever played a villain. I mean, anyway, in Gangs in New York, she's kind of morally dubious, but she's still... She's a pretty bad person and very bad things. <laughs> well, but that's not... I mean, is she... I don't remember. Are you supposed to know that she's bad? Oh, yeah. The movie's called Very Bad Things. <laughs> All of them are bad. But point being, she's never really played a drunken verbally abusive well, she, but, mother-like figure but this is like a disney villain I it mean, is she's it's, it's very much cruella deville right she's she's like a villain in a fun way or cruella deville <laughs> dollar tree cruella deville uh but what a tree but yeah like when annie shows back home drunken cameron diaz just berates her and says you know you're not even worth the 150 dollars i get sent to me weekly subtlety uh I think just as a matter of instinct, Gluck threw subtlety out the window with this one. And still, it wasn't enough. We still we didn't get the message. The children staying at the foster home are all just in desperate want and desire of a family. And we do get the most famous track from Annie. This conversation of wanting a family leads to uh, the next morning in which Colleen wakes them up, tells them all to get to fucking work, throws cleaning supplies at them. And we get a fantastic rendition of Hard Knock Life. Song but, really doesn't get old. Yeah, and it's I like the duality of the movie of, of this song because it's like it's a great track. It really gets you pumped, and uh, it, they're singing about how hard their life is, and it is. But at the same time, it's just so peppy that it gets you into. It. I mean, it's a hard life, but Annie throughout the movie she is she's Captain America. She never says die. She never gives up. She's always smiling. She always keeps going forward. And you can kind of see here why, because it's a hard life, but you know, you're with your friends and Cameron Diaz. Like I said, she's a Disney villain. She's still, you know, she's mean, but with quotation marks around her, it's just, it's still fun. If that's the words you can, you have to deal with then. And Annie already knows how to play Colleen. Just knows when she's drunk, you know, what side of her to stand on and, you know, how to just get the conversation over with so she can go back to her room. Ask her about the time that she opened for Van Halen or something. <laughs> Colleen's a very predictable villain. It's like playing uh, Super Mario Brothers. You just got to get under King Koopa and then you're good to go. Every now and then there'll be a fireball. <laughs> yeah, she'll... Me! <laughs> she's drunk too much. Uh, foster home is due for inspection as... He's not even given a name, a title, or exactly why he's there. It's just inspection. It's uh, it's Mike Berbiglia with a cameo. I finally remember his name. When we Generic started. inspection number four. And this dude is just awful at his job. Immediately, a massive breach of data, and then he just drops all of these uh, foster children's social security numbers on the floor. It's. I would give him this. He was starstruck, in a way, uh, when he saw Cameron Diaz. I think he was nervous, too, because she tries to seduce him. Right, and it's like, what do you do now? 
professionalism out the window. I mean, he's seen the mask. <laughs> he knows, you know, what lies ahead. He saw Gangs of New York again. That's <laughs> he saw not Charlie's Angels <laughs> and Charlie's Angels too, and now he's here full throttle. <laughs> he declines her advances, but through this, Annie, the little scamp that she is, bless her heart retrieves her social security number and takes it down to the New York City library in an attempt to just get, like, a, a person report. You I mean, can go online she, and do that for a lot cheaper. It's called a LexisNexis. Uh, well, in 2014, though? Yes. Really? Yeah. Uh, okay, I thought that that there's some, some crazy technology going on in... in in this movie, oh, uh, some of it, yeah, most was... of it, most of it belongs to Jamie Fox. Yeah, he but... had some shit too. This movie's like um, that. I can't remember the name of the Chaplin movie, but someone claims that someone has a cell phone in it. Modern times? It's not modern times, <laughs> but there's another one. Basically, point being, this is a, a bit of ahead of its time because there's like facial recognition getting into phones, shit that didn't exist back then. There may be something to your theory of Will Blo- Will Gluck being a traveler from the future <laughs> that came back to make a movie to. To warn us. To warn us. And he just didn't quite get the details right. He thought that he, he got the time period right. He was, oh, by the time this comes out, we'll have invented all this stuff. He chose the wrong avenue. <laughs> he thought, I'd, I'll remake a beloved child's tale and weave into it these horrifying prophecies. Everybody will come watch it. Yeah. He was right about one of those things. Run Tomatoes ruined the, the plan. So, before Annie can make her way up to the New York City Library, she stops by a local convenience store, which we don't find out until nearly the end of the movie, is just right across the street from her uh, foster home. I thought it was just some place in the barrio she wandered to, but a gentleman by the name of Lou runs the convenience store and has Annie help him out. And um, It's Hispanic Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is Bobby Cannavale's cousin. We couldn't figure out if it was... You know, if it was Lee Cannavale or Mario Cannavale, <laughs> Mario Luigi Cannavale, <laughs> and this guy—you know—far be it for me to question the motives of you know a person that would befriend a child, but definitely taking advantage of her naivety as she asks for money, and the job he gives her is to scratch the expiration dates off the milk, orange juice drinks that are in house. Uh- Break the law, basically. I mean, it doesn't look like his store would pass health code to begin <laughs> with, but that's not the point of the story. I, I like that the arc of uh, Annie is, it, and it's pretty subtle, because really the big changes, you would argue, are uh, for the Jamie Foxx character. But really, there's a more subtle arc running through the movie, which is Annie growing up and, and losing some you know, some of the naivete that, that you you have to lose in order to make it into this world. And uh, It's a hard knock life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, what happens when your hard knock life is really hard knocks instead of just dancing with your friends and making fun of Cameron Diaz when she's drunk? Uh, So that's my life (laughs) with a microphone in front of you. (laughs) Uh, So, so I mean, I think I, I like that through the movie we constantly see her be so trusting, never even second guessing when an adult tells her something, and then. Obviously, you have a big moment towards the end where that changes. Mm-hmm. And her day is being intertwined, interwoven, I should say, with William Stacks uh, on his campaign trail. He goes out and um, is serving lunch for the homeless. And uh, obviously not cut out for this because he shows up to this whole event that's specifically designed to favor him. And he gets out and looks at this homeless population. How are we feeling? Starving? <laughs> And then he refuses to eat the food. Yeah, it's a uh, 
Jamie Foxx gets to do a lot of physical comedy in this. Uh, and I'm not talking about Pratt Falls, but but easily his most physical comedy since Booty Call. Easily, yeah. It was it was about time. We've been waiting for the return <laughs> of uh, physical comedic actor Jamie Foxx. He he's still cool, Jamie Foxx, because I think that at this point it's almost impossible for him to let go of that persona. Uh, you know, he's the millionaire here. He there's a lot of Batman jokes. He's yeah. just like the cool guy, but but he is clearly not afraid of looking silly. He. There's a lot of spit takes. He's willing to be the joke. Yeah. Uh, the punchline, uh, as it were. So that was cool. And it starts right here when he, he spits the, what is it, mashed potatoes? Yeah. yeah. He's serving mashed potatoes, and one of the vagrants makes an offhand comment about, yeah, they must not be good because you won't eat them. He's like, yes, I will. And he takes a big bite and spits it out. By the time he gets back into his car, uh, Grace Rose Byrne informs him that, you know, this has already gone online and that people have already auto-tuned it and remixed it. And again, another chilling premonition of, you know, Future people of power, Jimmy Fox quips, this is why China's winning. <laughs> and then there's almost like this drawn out silence just to let it reflect <laughs> or let the audience reflect on what's being said. Or like the actors look, Will, cut, cut. <laughs> you just hear off camera, no, this is great. <laughs> why is he crying? <laughs> cut back to Annie as she makes it to the library. She gets the money she needs from working with Lou. Uh, goes to pull up her record by, I guess, just a copy of her public record. It is printed, reported, and it is extremely minimal. It basically just says that she is a person that exists and was first put into a foster home, I believe, around the time she was four. She is successfully almost off the grid. Mm -hmm. She is what John Connor in Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines wanted to be, but couldn't. He works so hard, and Annie, she's not even trying. She... Yeah, there's a lot of crazy Americans that would kill to have that small of a record. And she's pissed about it. <laughs> but only a little bit. Because like Little I America said... watched this and said the fucking temerity <laughs> of this little girl. Uh, but like I said, she, she doesn't give up. She's always bouncing well, back no, with a smile and right a song. Into, yeah, uh-huh. the sun will come out tomorrow. And that is something you cannot take away from Annie and Kavanjane Wallace specifically. Just when it looks like the chips are down, the cards are you know not in your favor. She just pushes through. She sticks out her chin if and she, grins. Yeah, if she was and not, proclaims, <laughs> she proclaims. If she didn't, this movie would be such a bummer. Oh yeah. I wonder. Once again, going back to the Will Gluck time traveler theory. <laughs> go. Maybe he shot himself in the foot when he cast a little actress that's so talented, so happy. It was that she was, diverted from the real message, <laughs> right? This was supposed to be a dark take on. This is supposed to be run, <laughs> right? And instead, everybody goes, "Oh, <laughs> you're right. The sun will come out tomorrow, Annie." It's to your America point, will be great again. <laughs> they should have had someone very off-putting, or just completely warped the Annie character to help get its message across. What this should have been is. It, understanding time traveler Gluck, the message he was trying to get across. This should have been an episode of Big Bang Theory without the laugh track to where the <laughs> viewer awkward has to just accept what's happening and not just, you know, paint by numbers. It would be a Oliver Twist, basically. Where I remember when I watched the the most recent adaptation of Oliver, Oliver Twist, the one with Ben Kingsley, <laughs> and that movie is just grim. I mean, it's a oh, little yeah. kid that goes through hell. There's there's no There's no songs there. <laughs> You know, they could have almost pulled off the ending similar to the seminal uh, 21st century classic with Robert Pattinson, Remember Me, 
<laughs> where it turns out that it was 9-11 the whole time. It should have just done like the retrospective and Jamie Foxx fades into Trump. <laughs> and then... And then it, no, because you know no, he, he jumps a, out of the race. It says two years later, <laughs> and then it fades into Trump, and then it just well, you I start, win. You start with Cannavale just talking to a new candidate, and you don't know who, who oh, it is. And, and then it's like we did it. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Oh, turning this into a horror movie of sorts. <laughs> Annie. Heading home, singing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, comes across two fucking ruffians that I, I would just trip and punch in the face because they're just uh, pointlessly and maliciously torturing this dog, just throwing cans at it and just being real pieces of shit. So she, like a good person would, wants to put a stop to it, so she's chasing after them. Meanwhile, uh, Papa Warbucks, his car broke down, so he's just going to walk back home is essentially the story. So they literally run into each other. She basically T-bones into him. And he's like, what the fuck are you running for? And, you know, <laughs> for as professionally as he tries to come across, I think some of his inner street per- persona comes out here in this yeah. exchange. I mean, at some point they reveal in the movie, he reveals that, that he came from the streets. He's from Harlem, I think is what they say. They say his dad worked on the train station or something and 20 hours a day there you go so practical (laughs) that doesn't that doesn't rub off you just it stays with you you can put a suit on but you know every cliche in the book that covers that (laughs) you can take the fox out of harlem annie heads back to the foster home a it's presumably 11 a.m at the latest (laughs) diaz is already fucking loaded and again, I think this would, I would not be surprised. I didn't find it in my research, but method acting, like. Uh, she's at a stage in her career where she can take those chances. Yeah. She's Cameron Diaz. You know, it's, uh, she's still getting royalties from The Mask and Charlie's Angels and whatever. So if she wants to get drunk she's on set, set for just for, for the sake of, of giving an honest portrayal of a drunk in a kid's movie, she's going to do it. <laughs> she's not going to throw in the towel. I mean, she's she's worked with Scorsese by now. That's right. Martin Sheen levels of method acting for Cameron Diaz here in this uh, family film. She notifies. Uh, she basically gives an eviction notice to Annie. I guess she's sick of her shit. She's sick of her smart mouth, noise violations, all these things, and says, "You know, you're you're getting moved to a group home. I'm done with you." Which I was she surprised. Said you fired. <laughs> <laughs> Too much. Well, Glenn was like, "No, let's tone it down." Um, we'll save the subtlety for other parts. I was, I was surprised. It, it just shows my ignorance of how the system works because I thought that that was a group home, mm-hmm. right? What do you call well, this movie? Goes out of its way to educate us about these things, but not this part. What no. was the difference? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Is there multiple Cameron Diaz's where she's going? <laughs> Is that the difference? Is it like a minimum security prison that she's being sent off to? <laughs> oh, she was. That's why she was doing the air quotes when she said "group home." It really means that she was, she was gonna take her out back and shoot her. Jesus. <laughs> so Grace and Guy suggest, uh, due to the positivity, um, due to the positive press that the fate run-in with Annie caused. Uh, Guy and Grace are recommending... I just realized double G. <laughs> They're recommending that uh, Mr. Sachs have lunch with Annie just to kind of keep on this good uh, fortune they've come across with the press, this good image, perpetuate this. 
There's, I mean, I wrote it later because obviously it becomes a, a bigger thing later. But it really, I just realized from the very beginning, social media plays a big part of everything uh, that goes on here because he gets all mimified when when he spits those mashed potatoes earlier. And then now there's like a viral video of him running into Annie and kind of saving her from getting run over by well, a car. Also, the the buried narrative of this movie is how that shit's gonna destroy us all. <laughs> yes, it's indeed. Really weird because it's not. Gluck put a lot on the table here. <laughs> and people didn't pick it up because, again, they were just... He cloaked it in this beloved fairy tale, or uh, childhood tale of whimsy and wonder. But what he served was some gritty shit to digest. And even more so, that I had not seen this prior to this evening in either Julio. Five years later, it's even more like, fuck. It's like watching Blade Runner 50 years from now. <laughs> So Stax agrees to have lunch with Annie, and this is where we get kind of our education on what is acceptable vernacular, um, because he refers to her as an orphan, and she corrects him and says, I'm a foster kid. And as uh, we talked about, we were watching it, just based on my research, for the Hard Knock Life song, they replaced any references to orphanage or orphans with foster kid. Or foster home because unbeknownst to myself uh orphan or orphanage is apparently not really accepted vernacular anymore when did that happen i don't know before I mean, 2014 apparently or, or <laughs> we both thought the same thing <laughs> out of the numerous missions that gluck set off to accomplish with this movie in the establishing year, in the year 2085 Orphanage and orphan are not allowed terms, so he came back to <laughs> self fulfilled prophecy. <laughs> this is going to ruin lives. Honestly, again, another just quick bit of real talk. They both had two enormous lobsters on their plates in front of them, and neither one of them fucking ate it, and it was driving me insane. Uh, but somehow Bobby Cannavale is just like hovering over them when they eat and he starts orchestrating this entire thing. You have what we've been presented as like the richest, most, um, influential man in the world in, uh, Papa Stax and his advisor, Bobby Cannavale is just like, yeah, you can just like adopt this child. It's done. <laughs> it literally is done. I mean, there's no even like cut to. A year later, when they finally cut through all... They, they just go through the red tape like it's butter. It's... Yeah. Uh, the Juno adoption process, it's not. <laughs> no. At no point did um, Kavanjane Wallace leave a, a handwritten note on his doorstep saying, I'm still in if you are. We get a really sad and revealing scene in the car where it's just Grace and Annie, where we find out that Rose Byrne has no friends and that she's just been married to her career. Because a woman that looks like Rose Byrne is going to have a really hard time making friends. I think it might be more than she's always with uh, Bobby Cannavale. So that just automatically, unintentionally wards off anybody who would approach her. I guess that's fair. It's basically hanging around with Bobby Cannavale is the opposite ends of magnets. They try to get close to you and it shoots you off. It's like, nope, can't compete with that. I mean, why would you? I would just admire from afar. <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. Man. When they fuck, it's got to be like the Ark of the Covenant. You look at it, it melts your face off. Like, just too much. I always said that about Scarlett Johansson and Ryan Reynolds. It, it's just, it's so unfair. Or is it just the fairest of things? <laughs> Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Right, it's like once you get to that level of attractiveness, 
Why not? I mean, why shouldn't I you? have to find the other point oh 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 one percent and I must mate with them. We get to the high rise apartment loft condo, whatever the fuck you want to call it that is it's occupied. A fucking palace. It is. It's Stacks Tower. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and even he does make the clarification that he has Stacks Tower in LA, and even if he becomes mayor of New York, he's still gonna go there on the weekends. And Play some golf at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> it is a palace, and it is all video screens, and it's all monitoring and adapting to what you like. And this is how you know. This is how you know that deep down, Jamie Foxx is the right person to lead New York into the future or whatever, because he already has the technology there, and he's been responsible enough not to let it propagate uh, irresponsibly. All he's done is. Cell phones. Yeah. But really, what he has at home, that could change the world. I mean, he literally... We're not exaggerating when you say that it does whatever you want. I mean, they literally say that it will read your mind and then it will project it on the screens. Yeah, she has a uh, uh, grace that is, has Annie like say one phrase and it's like, all right, now it knows what you like. <laughs> now it's inside your head forever. <laughs> and we get a musical rendition of I Think I'm Gonna Like It Here. This is probably my favorite one because it's the one that involves Rose Byrne the most. Yes, and I... I, I was like, achievement unlocked. See Rose Byrne <laughs> sing and dance in a movie. Well, and also, she... Bleeding into a little bit of uh, real thoughts on the movie, real talk, as it were. She definitely seems to be having the most fun with her performance. I think that she matches Kevangene uh, uh, Wallace mm -hmm. very well as far as the happiness. The, the... I think it's unfair to compare, because Kevangene does elicit some sincere childlike wonder. So, you, you know, you can't expect Bobby Cannavale or... Uh, well, also, he's a bad guy. Cameron Diaz. And like you said, Jamie Foxx has to maintain that certain level of cool that he's established. So Rose Byrne, I think, goes in with the, the nothing to lose factor. Right. She's, she's poised to to be the cool adult. I haven't been in a musical adult. before. I'm going to fucking take on the world with this one. <laughs> Attention's growing and the general public are eating it up. I believe Cannavale creates a Twitter account for... Because uh, he would. Well, he knows the score. He knows the future that Twitter is going to dictate how elections go. And it's going to dictate the image of public officials. Because that's where we're fucking at five years later. The only thing that was missing, really, and of course, he had to pull back, uh, was just to see Fox actively tweeting yeah. every few hours. And anytime he got mad, he would just like grace like trying to take the phone away from him and be like, no, we don't need to do that. They have to get on camera and explain whatever he, he tweeted. And then we get this weird sidebar that the story arc of this isn't ever really resolved, nor is it uh, warranted or paid off. Um, Nash is the name of uh, Stax's uh, driver. Also, Stax's dark ops operative. <laughs> But Nash, the driver for Stax, pulls uh, Annie aside because doesn't she say, can't you track down my parents? She asks if like you can track down my parents. Right, because uh, um, the, the grocery store guy, the, you know. Lou. <laughs> Lou. Lou was saying that he's being all paranoid. Vincenzo Cannavale. <laughs> Mario Cannavale said <laughs> that they can they use cell phones to spy on people. That's right. And so she asked Nash, hey, can you guys do this? Because they're at uh, Stax Tower. And then he pulls her into a fucking war room. Where <laughs> yeah, they have, Nash like, goes like, oh, can we? 
Let me show you the bad cave after Lucius Fox hooked up all those cell phones. They go to find the Joker. and then you don't know where they go. And they go into this war room where like 75 people are employed. It looks like an uh, air traffic control room. And they're all watching this big screen. And then they say, uh, can you locate Bennett? And then, of course, they just type it in and it's everywhere. He even says something like, not, he doesn't say this shit's evil, but he says something <laughs> to the effect of, like, this is dangerous. You know, we monitor everything everyone does through their phones. We can't let this happen, uh, have it fall into the wrong hands. And Annie, you know, I think he wants to tell someone, but he doesn't want to lose his job. So he just tells this child that he knows won't do anything with the information. She just goes, cool. Can you find my parents? You guys got popcorn? <laughs> yeah, that's right, because she's completely distracted in the next scene, because Stax just takes her to a movie premiere, and one thing I'm a sucker for, and I don't know, I think I've communicated this on our podcast in the near 125 episodes that we've done, um, that I am a huge sucker for fictional movies inside of movies, uh-huh. and there's a the movie premiere they go to is for a film called Moonquake Lake that stars Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, and it, it is... To me, comedically, this is probably the zenith of the film because it, uh, the movie's so preposterous. And then Kutcher and Kunis are giving like these really over the top performances in it. She's like a fish person and he's a, a human and they're trying to date or whatever. But we, she, when she cries, is, uh, and I'll glow in the dark tears. Moon tears or whatever yep. the fuck they call it. Yeah. But as always, any Ashton Kutcher and or Mila Kunis cameo is welcome here on The Contrarians. Yeah, when uh, when the movie ends, it's, it shows that it's directed by uh, Lord and Miller, the guys who would go on to do uh, the Lego movie. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, they can't all be as good as Moon Cries or whatever, but... So they enjoy that, they have a good time, and also Annie gets uh, her friends from uh, Colleen's foster home. They They all get to go out and have a good evening together. They had to sneak away because Cameron Diaz was just drunk again at 6 p.m. on a Wednesday. Uh, they do get back to the foster home, uh, all of Annie's friends. Cameron Diaz becomes aware of what went on, scolds him for it, and then she sings a song because we're not, you know, this movie's smart in the fact that it, it doesn't show a gun in the first act. <laughs> just a lot of bottles. <laughs> you know going into it, Cameron Diaz is going to sing, but it, you're going to wait for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh... And it's worth it because it's also pretty edgy. There, there are a couple moments in this movie where it was unsettling without losing just its its PG or maybe is it PG thirteen? It has to be PG, right? It's PG, yeah. It's PG rating, but it touches some you know where you can see glimpses there was of the what part where blood. Jamie Fox said "fuck you" to Annie, and it was pretty weird. But you know, <laughs> that's when she was cooking him all this food. I was like, enough, goddamn it. <laughs> Now, um, this is basically Cameron Diaz, her, her musical number, her first musical number, is her uh, just suffering alcohol-induced hallucinations. Yeah. She's she's singing about how much she hates kids, and she keeps seeing the kids in place of the furniture. That's it, right. That's some fucked up stuff, but, but you're like, oh, this is fun. It's a fun song, and Cameron Diaz is having fun with it. Uh, but it, it really, deep down, is about a really damaged character. That is in charge of kids. And you think this may just be a figment of her entire imagination. But this is also when we learn that Lou's convenience store is right across the street. Because you hear him calling from the street talking about how beautiful her singing voice was. Which, I don't, do they ever pay that off? Does Lou get with Cameron Diaz by the end? Um, they kind of, they're holding hands by the end. Okay. But the big reunion. 
Because remember, she's like, honey, don't. It's their moment because she starts singing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go back to Stax Tower, and there's a campaign meeting with Guy and uh, Mr. Stax himself. And they see a commercial. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but there's a fat, bald, white guy that was running opposition to him for mayor. And there's a familiar voice narrating it. And Jamie Foxx, whose voice is that? And then it cuts to Michael J. Fox, who in the end endorses the mayor. And Jamie Foxx has the incredible line of, Michael J. Fox, we're done. <laughs> well, it's even better. It's kind of all the response. Michael J. Fox, he's not as, as nice as you think. <laughs> Best Michael J. Fox joke ever. We go on a tour of New York City via helicopter with uh, Papa Stax. He loads up Annie. And then, again, this really weird, clear agenda this movie has against <laughs> the cellular phone industry. He's taking her around to like the Brooklyn Bridge and the Statue of Liberty <laughs> and showing her all these places where they hide these cell towers. <laughs> and they basically co- coat them in stealth camo, like Metal Gear Solid, to where it just blends in with their surroundings. This is how we spy on you, Annie. Like, yeah, like, like, but can you find my parents? <laughs> no, what? No. Are you paying attention? I'm trying to tell you something. Uh, this is awesome because this is where we get a Jamie Foxx original. Yeah, the nominated for and robbed for best original song that in 2015. Yeah, song. It's about New York, right? It's like it's the the Jamie Foxx version of if you Gotham play it City. Backwards, it says Trump wins. <laughs> run, run. Um, no, do you remember that that song? Uh, it was called Gotham City. It was from either Batman Robbing or Batman Forever. Uh, I don't remember who sang it, but it was it was basically a song about Gotham City, and he called it City of Justice, City of Love. Oh wow! Yeah, it, it didn't sound like Gotham at all, but somebody thought that it would sound cool in the in the it'd be yeah, cool in the soundtrack. Some of the marketing ideas behind both those movies were. <laughs> Quite frankly, questionable. Uh, but yeah, this is basically uh, Jamie Foxx singing about New York City. But yeah, again, he's trying to educate Annie. It's like, you're off the grid. Stay <laughs> off of it. It's still late for me, but you can still run. When the movie, you think you're on a clear path and you know what's going on, it throws this complete curveball at you that you, you try to hit and you completely miss because it comes out of nowhere. And that's apparently that Rose Byrne and Jamie Foxx have been sending feelers out the whole movie. <laughs> It took me by surprise. No, I think it's meant to take you by surprise. I think it it just shows the power of Annie. That shows the power is, of love. Well, yeah, but she is she's so perceptive. She's so ahead of her of her years that she can see what we couldn't. That invisible chemistry between Jamie Fox and Rose Byrne. She makes it flourish. I mean, it's not there until she puts them together, and mm-hmm. then the sparks fly. And you know, as I say it now, I just realized that. I have this thing against precautious kids in movies. They just get on my nerves, instantly ruin a movie for me. And uh, this little girl, like Kevanjanae Wallace, like she was never did it. No, I was with her the entire time. I'm I'm okay with with her being wise beyond her years, bold as well. And yeah, she she puts together the dots because you know kids are smarter than we give them credit for, or some shit like that. Uh... <laughs> just not when it comes to. Uh, uh, just some basic stuff like social security numbers and uh, do not talk the to ability strangers. to read between the lines of anything. <laughs> Rob Cannavale is slowly becoming the bad guy of this movie as he, shots of him are becoming more and more brooding and ominous. And he's also being a lot more forceful in some of his uh, ideas regarding the campaign. One of which uh, is a campaign dinner he has, he puts together for uh, Papa Stacks, and then <laughs> asks Annie to read off this teleprompter. Uh, 
I couldn't read exactly what it said, but presumably bow down to your new god, <laughs> alternative facts, you know, all this shit. And we learn then, because Annie just takes off in a, a bit of shame. We think it's a bit of uh, confusion at first, but it turns out that she's just really embarrassed by the fact that she can't read. It's a pretty good fake out, because I think at first you're thinking that it's what's horrified her is whatever was there for her to read. Yes. And instead... Ladies and gentlemen, the president <laughs> of the United States. Hashtag MAGA. <laughs> but, but no, instead... It was just a panic attack because she can't read. And and that's where really you realize, wow, she really the system really failed her. Nobody in her life has figured out that she can't read. Yeah. All, all she knows is how to sign her name. She was in school. She's yeah. eleven. It opened the movie opened with her in school. She could somehow read the social security number. She knows count her money to add. Uh, but can't read. I'm getting too far ahead of myself here. <laughs> She knew what form to get. I, I don't know. I think it's all a matter of destiny. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's like uh, like Blanche in uh, Streetcar Named Desire. She just depended on the kindness of strangers. There you go. Which form do I you need? You can always depend on the kindness of strangers. Guy and Colleen. This is where Guy uh, Bobby Cannavale just goes full on heel turn. He goes and um, convinces Colleen that they're going to create this ruse where they just hire two random people to impersonate Annie's parents. I mean, it's kind of a genius plan when you think about it. Because what's happened is uh, the uh, Jamie Foxx's approval ratings have plateaued. Like, she, he's not going any further. So, you know, next to, I don't know, having an, uh, like, giving birth to an actual kid, <laughs> there's no nothing else for him to do as far as, as Annie goes. But if if he finds her real parents, then that's one last boost, and then he wins the election. Um the coolest thing here, though, is that just like they made us wait for the Cameron Diaz musical number, mm -hmm. they delivered finally here the Bobby Cannavale number, and it's a duet with Cameron Diaz. Yeah, it's a one-two punch if I've ever seen one. And he does have the amazing line when he goes up to her apartment uh, and he wants to propose this plan to her. He's, he just eyes her up and down and says, can I get you another drink? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, this is where uh, Cameron Diaz is playing Twister by herself, which is... Amazing shorthand for how lonely and depressed her life is. We get a montage. It's not even a montage, excuse me. We get just a sequence of scenes that demonstrate that Stax and Annie are becoming closer. Another, um, I think, bold and poignant and uh, premonitious approach this movie took was that the first half is really uh, fast-paced. You know, you get through it pretty comfortably and... Um, you know, you're feeling that things are kind of good. And then the second half, I don't want to say drags, but definitely is a sobering uh, second hour. It's a sobering second act to this, much like the uh, the run to the 2016 presidential campaign, uh, presidential election. <laughs> Time slowed down. Yeah, it, it flew by, but then it got to it. And we've just had this slow, sobering second act ever since then. And uh, what it leads to, though, is these fake parents coming out of the woodwork. Um, Colleen's character has basically a casting call for them and they find their, their fake parents. They find their imposters and they have them meet back up with Annie. Um, this is where guy goes full fucking evil though, is he, he has this weird, like look of joy in his face as he's deceiving this poor young child. He, uh, he fakes a DNA test somehow. He, he just says money will get you or anything. Just, yeah. Yeah. 
fucking forges government documentation. And Colleen, presumably not having a drink in six hours, is beginning to sober up and really starting to regret uh, what's going on here. That's really uh, the, the moment, probably the, the finest moment of acting uh, from Cameron Diaz in this movie, maybe even ever. It's a close-up uh, of her after Bobby Cannavale has made it clear that he doesn't really know who these people are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, they're going to take her to Brazil, whatever. You know, they're just taking her out. And you can see, I turn and ask you, Alex, what's the opposite of a heel turn? <laughs> and you said it's a face turn. Mm-hmm. And that's literally a close-up of Cameron Diaz's face turn. <laughs> She just you just see everything the, the consequences of what she's done, and after some more singing, uh, Colleen does realize the the gravity of the situation and comes clean and explains to uh, Papa Stacks exactly everything that went down, uh, blaming Bobby Cannavale for it. And one, he tells he said he starts off by saying, "Don't listen to her; she's crazy." And then two, when she points at him and says, "This man," he looks he behind him as to like. <laughs> insinuate that she's pointing at someone else um the best part of all this though to show you what a good guy jamie fox is <laughs> papa stacks he doesn't even fire him at first no i mean the man deserves a fair trial he's not gonna just get him off his position right away he needs to hear both sides he needs to look at his calendar where was he when this uh dna faking took place so to track down annie it's a two-part system and it's also it's showing the massive pros and cons of our social system now and the the cell phone culture as it is. He goes to the war room to track down, you know, where they could be, that type of thing. But also because Lucius Fox is there, just like Mr. Wayne. <laughs> when you're finished, type in your name. <laughs> type in stacks. <laughs> uh but because of the social media presence of Annie, people around the city know who she is. So they're taking pictures of her in the back of this car with her fake parents because she figures it out. And she's basically doing the help routine. Where she's- Yeah, this is the moment where uh, it really is probably the darkest the movie gets, which is she's in the back of the car and the parents have dropped the act. Parents. Uh, they're, they're not even answering her questions. And so she figures out. She's like, you're not my real parents, right? And and the guys are kind of now they're acting like criminals. And then it, it now it's really creepy. You have these two adults and a little girl that you've grown to care for in the back seat. She tries to get out and the doors are locked. And and then they tell her that they imply that Jamie Foxx was behind it all. That yeah. he's the one that got all this orchestrated. And you can see her heart breaks. And this is when I was talking about her arc, this is where the innocence is lost. Because you have to see her, even if it turns out to not be true later. You have to see her reckon with the fact that an adult thoroughly disappointed her mm-hmm. and that she was wrong about the kind of man that Jamie Foxx was. And that's, you know, before she starts waving at random kids with their phones outside of the car, that's really the big moment in the movie. You just have this, again, a close-up on her as she has to process and you just basically see her become an adult. Yeah. And these fake parents... There's no telling the promises or untold amounts of money that Bobby Cannavale offered them because they will stop at nothing. It's, it's Stax gets in his helicopter with the whole brigade of uh, foster children and Cameron Diaz and Lou shows up for no reason. And this chopper's chasing after him and the fucking NYPD's on them and they stop at nothing. They're getting to it's the they want to fucking uh, Thelma and Louise this shit, but they're unable to. It's it's an action sequence from the A Team, the TV show, not the bullshit movie. Fuck off. 
<laughs> but really, it, I mean, you did say, what did they promise him or what did they threaten them with? Cannibale was, if they catch you, you just buy it and decide I'd kill He has their real child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gave him the cyanide. If you're captured, you take this. But eventually, the chopper cuts him off, and then they're surrounded by police. And my favorite part is the the man of the two takes off on foot. <laughs> he gets out of the car, and then he has to be tackled by you know, Barney Fife. But Annie also takes off on foot because she still believes that this was something set up by uh, Jamie Foxx, by Stax, who he goes and not... When I say grabs her, it's not in a forceful way. It's just trying to kind of calm her down and explain the situation. She doesn't believe that there's any true emotion or sincerity behind his actions. And uh, naturally, a fucking high-speed chase is going on that's involved a helicopter and multiple members of the NYPD. So the press shows up, and she says something. She quips, you know, do you need more pictures with me or you know, something along those lines? And then uh, Aaron Eckhart in The Dark Knight, I am the Batman. <laughs> Uh, Jamie Foxx turns around and faces the press and says, I withdraw from the mayoral race. And understandably so, this is enough to swindle uh, uh, Annie back in his good graces. Yeah, I mean, this is where the movie diverges from everything. I mean, Swinging really, him back in her good graces. Uh, it, it really, obviously, this is where where we should have been if we had heeded the advice that this movie was giving us. You know, this movie was telling you, okay, so there are dark times ahead. They could be prevented. If you get a cute little girl to charm Donald Trump into withdrawing from the race because <laughs> he finds the meaning of life in actually caring for another human being. As at this point in 2019, as I mean, no, we're impossible past that. as that may sound, I think I don't think you can do it now. Time man. traveler William Gluck was trying to tell us something. <laughs> yeah, no, we missed the window. I mean, now we're just it's we're past it. <laughs> uh, and then. After you've already had enough time to forget about it all over again, we're reminded, oh, wait, Grace and Jamie Foxx have some chemistry between them. And there's a, they have a big kiss right here. Yeah, she kisses him, which is like, you go, girl. Yeah. Again, female empowerment. But also just freed from the shackles of having had Bobby Cannavale next to her the entire time. Because by now he's hopefully in jail. Well, the, the deleted scene was him... Uh, down by Wall Street, just getting into a taxi with <laughs> briefcases and suitcases of money spilling out into the streets. And then the post credit scene where you're used to Samuel L. Jackson coming in, it's him, like you said, at a, a table in a dimly lit room across from, you just see the glowing orange hair. You don't see the actual face. And he's like, I have a plan. <laughs> Mayor Trump? How about President Trump? Yeah, my last note is, guy got away with it. <laughs> I mean, the last time we see him, Roseburn punches him. So that's something. And it's a fucking, it's not even like a cross right. She gets him with this awesome, like, kung fu backhand. Uh, but it's a happy ending in that uh, Papa Stax withdraws from the mayoral race and uses his uh, money, his leverage, his position, his standing to start a literacy center. And the movie concludes with uh, with, Annie. with Annie's former teacher getting fired. <laughs> The state expectations of education w were raised significantly following this, but she uh, reads off the address to open up the center. So it's all concluded. Like I said, when we were watching it, I could have used one shot of Cannavale with a fucking hairnet on making license plates in prison. But yeah, that that was Annie. It was it was a a foreboding tale, one filled with dread. 
<laughs> lots of cute musical numbers too. Um, you ready for real talk? Yeah, that's about all I can do. Right, and we are recording for Real Talk for Annie. All right, man, that was actually a lot of fun. The first half there, uh, just because we made it such. This um, isn't a movie that I would call necessarily fun. I did mean what I said when the first half flew by, but Jesus Christ, the second it, half it hits a it hits a snag, and then it doesn't just hit a snag temporarily. It like it's like a knife into like a drywall and then just pulling it down consistently. And the wall is resisting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I am the wall and I am resisting this. So, uh, time traveler, William Gluck directed this movie. We completely forgot to even mention the, the moment where, uh, uh, Jamie Foxx makes a joke about that. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say we, we referenced and made a lot of jokes about the Trump thing, but there are the three big ones that like were really weird. And, and especially watching them through 2019 lenses is the one, uh, I loved my city and I want to make it great again. Uh, this is why China's winning. And then, yeah, the big thing we just glossed over that we both like incredulously threw our arms up at was at his political banquet when he like points to some senator and is like, and we're still working on that fence. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? And there's a deleted scene with uh, uh, Bobby Cannavale leading a chant. It was like, lock her up, lock her up. <laughs> Or, yeah, to Annie, take yeah. her home. Take her home. Jesus. Um, so, before we get into our feelings again, William Gluck directed this, who, is, he goes by Will, and I'm talking to him like I'm his fucking dad, directed prior to this Fired Up, which was a movie I screened, and I remember laughing a lot at, more than I would have expected to. The cheerleaders, right? Yeah. Like, I haven't seen it, but... It's got some really funny parts to it. it. It's not what I would call a quality motion picture, but uh, Easy A, which I found that's a pretty divisive movie. I really enjoyed it. I like it too. Our good friend Eddie Strait referenced like three episodes in a row by now, I think. Yeah. Uh, he hates it. Yeah. It's got Thomas Hayden Church in it, so it's already got something working in his favor. And then Friends with Benefits with uh, Justin Timberlake and Mila Ooh. Kunis. Because people that look like Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis have a hard time finding people to date. That movie's so full of shit. I finally watched it. I don't know. If, I know we've referenced it here a lot, uh, but and then it has the fucking gall to have like that self righteous serious storyline with Richard Jenkins. <laughs> yeah, the, he has Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah. I I finally watched it a couple months ago, and I was just angered. Yeah. Uh, not that the the Natalie Portman Ashton Kutcher version is much better, but I but think it's better. Well, it has uh, Kevin Klein, I think, as somebody's parent, mm -hmm. and uh, 
he's good. Oh yeah. Um, starring Jamie Foxx, who did get top billing, Kevonjane Wallace, um, Rose Byrne, Bobby Cannavale, Cameron Diaz. Had eight goddamn producers, not the least of which being Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith, Sean Jay-Z Carter. Was released on December 19th, 2014, just in time for Christmas. I would I would think this would be more of a summer movie. Uh, No, because, you know, family. I guess, but they could at least have it around Christmas time and not in the summer or fall, <laughs> whatever it was. Uh, box office, or budget, excuse me. Of an estimated about eighty million is what I, mean, I found. Fucking Le Mis was a a Christmas release. There's no Christmas anything well, it's there. Tom Hooper. <laughs> I think people think Christmas equals musicals. Maybe it's fair unless Something they're joyous. animated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, budget of around eighty million, based on what I was able to find. Box office return of around one hundred thirty million. Now, before we get to your quotes, Julio, of people that actually like this did have a few funny tidbits or interesting tidbits as it were of uh, things I found. Sandra Bullock was originally considered to play Miss Hannigan. She declined the role citing once how she hates musicals and vows never to star in one. And <laughs> That's a shame because I think she would have been good. I, I don't think, I mean, if she hates musicals, obviously she would have sucked at the musical performances, but in 2011, Will Smith envisioned this film as a star vehicle for his daughter, Willow, with Jay-Z playing Will Stacks. By the time production was ready in 2013, Willow was too old to play Annie. I just want Jay-Z in a feature-length <laughs> film. This is where we make cell phones. <laughs> Justin Timberlake and Brad Pitt were allegedly considered to play William Stacks. I do love how the word allegedly was thrown in there. So I want to get in trouble with Timberlake's lawyers. Yeah, and come you're, on. You're saying I lost to Jamie Foxx? <laughs> like Brad Pitt coming off Moneyball to do Annie. <laughs> Fuck off. Although due to be released just before Christmas, the movie was released online three weeks early. Do you remember this? No. By hackers known as the Guardians of Peace. Do you remember this whole thing? Was this with the interview? Yes. Like, oh, okay. Yes, it was. Uh, Somehow had... the interview got all the. Oh no no no! The thing with the interview was that they didn't want it to release, right? Correct. And yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. their retaliation was originally it was going to be war, and then they just took it back a notch. So they hacked Sony and just released movies early. <laughs> potato, potato. We're going to ruin Annie for you. And then again, I told Julio I read this at work today uh, when I was kind of just doing a little bit of research on the side. I like almost choked on my water and spit it out because it's not that funny, but it was just thrown in matter of factly in the middle of all this Reese uh, trivia and whatnot. The final movie for Cameron Diaz before her retirement. <laughs> <laughs> like I just read that and it just struck me uh, out of nowhere. And so just there. Okay. But that's like, not right. Twigged. Right. Is, is it correct? Was I, that her last movie? It, I don't know. I didn't know she retired. Right, me either, but I just I can't think of any reason. She's not Tiger Woods, like it's Answers. I don't understand what you consider retirement. I will not do this to our listeners. I will not have them wonder. <laughs> I will at least give them the IMDb version of of an answer. Uh This is the last movie she's been in. Holy sh why? I mean, obviously, like we said in Katrina's Corner, she's Cameron Diaz, she can do whatever she wants. Mm -hmm. But did she say I am retiring and my last movie will be Annie? Or did she say, fuck Annie, I'm retiring? <laughs> I guess I don't know. Might have been a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. But let man, us, let she us know. was 
busy in the last <laughs> six years of her career. From 2008, okay, so one, two, three, over 15 movies she made from 2008 to 2014 with Annie. I mean, she she had to hit a number, I guess. That was her goal. She said, she was like Tarantino. He's like, I'm not making more than 10 movies or whatever. And I, I call bullshit because as soon as they want that Shrek money back, she's going to be right there in the recording studio on Monday morning. Uh, the last good movie she made, oh man, The Counselor was really bad. I haven't seen it. In my humble opinion, the last good movie she made was What Happens in Vegas. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen Sex Tape. I haven't seen many of those 14 movies, I'm guessing. Yeah. You saw In a World. She was in it? According to this. I don't remember her. <laughs> Bad Teacher. I haven't no seen dice. it. You saw Green Hornet. Yes. Yeah, she is in it. I remember it. it wasn't good. Not her fault. Anyway, this is in the Cameron Diaz happy hour. Just throwing that out We're there. We're just suddenly reckoning with the fact that she's retired, apparently. <laughs> she, she watched this at the premiere and saw what the future held. <laughs> she knew what was coming. Getting the hell out of America. So, all right. Let's go ahead and get your quotes. Before, and, before we can yeah. dig deep. All right. So, get out of the Cameron Diaz IMDb page. All right. So some fresh reviews. Some people liked it. 26% of critics. Uh, starting with Leonard Malton from LeonardMalton.com. Big guns. Leo. Uh, a. Wallace has a thousand watt personality and is the main reason kids and families will find this Annie appealing. I think it hits it right on the head. Uh, Jim Shrembury from 3AW says, As much as we fear remakes of classic films, there are on occasion hardening examples where it's done right. Here we have a nicely updated, jazzed-up version of the unfairly maligned 1982 John Huston musical. Now, when I saw this, I, I just I did a double take because I didn't know that John Huston had directed the the first one. Did mm -hmm. you know that? Yeah, it's at fifty four percent Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, that was the fascinating part because obviously it's such a beloved Broadway production, but it doesn't really seem like the movies ever. I mean, hit I, on all cylinders. Yeah, I haven't seen it. He cast uh, Bogey as uh, Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> well, you're an orphan. <laughs> and blackface. Better get you home. Okay, Daddy Warbucks is not black in the other renditions of this. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> I haven't seen them, but I'm assuming it's some white dude. It's a bald white guy, yeah. Like the Monopoly guy. That's what I'm picturing. Pretty much, yeah, in a tuxedo. Yeah. Um, Steve Persall from Tampa Bay Times says, Wallace is up to the task, radiating charm without pushing it. Beasts wasn't a fluke. The camera loves this kid. Also accurate. Uh, and I like to close with uh, my favorite type of quote, the one that shits on another movie. <laughs> the songs are 10 times better than the ones in Into the Woods. <laughs> is that it yeah that's it oh that's incredible <laughs> i'm assuming into the woods came out in 2014 as well because if it didn't this is 100 percent uncalled for and that was yeah kelly vance had an axe to grind i like into the woods have you seen it uh, is that the emil hirsch movie no it's into the wild into oh. the woods is the musical with uh meryl streep emily blunt ew would, yeah. you, would you say the songs are better there or here here would you say the movie is better? Uh, do I have to? <laughs> I guess that means you need to rewatch it if you don't know. The I answer. forgot all about that. Yeah, no thanks. And I love Meryl Streep. I forgot because I've only watched it once, and I doubt I'll ever revisit it. Uh, that Kavanjane Wallace is in Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, same. I, I I looked that up. I was looking to see what else she had done, and uh, 
Yeah, I don't know which part she plays. I don't want to find out. It's probably super yeah, sad. That movie was BR Oodle. Um, and then I guess I haven't seen anything else she's been in since. So, yeah, she's great. And uh, before we go too far into this in terms of picking apart why it's not particularly good, um, it's one of those things that I remember people got mad at the time. Like, Annie's a white girl with red hair and freckles. It's like, yeah, that's kind of part of the story. At the same time, white people have enough. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really... It doesn't change the message of the movie. Right, yeah. And it's it's fine. And she's great. And I did, I popped huge for the opening because I had no idea they did that thing where they have a girl that looks like uh-huh, a classic uh-huh. and just get the fuck out of here. And they roll her eyes, yeah. uh, their eyes at her. Yeah, she is, uh, so this is your first time watching it. I watched it when it first came out. I had no... Oh, you'd seen it before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw it in okay. theaters. I... But prior to this, you had never seen an Annie adaptation. Yes, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so as, as kind of like an Annie novice, I... You know, I saw some of the quotes when I was looking through the Rotten Tomatoes uh, reviews. They were talking about how, like, they've retooled the songs and that that's kind of a, not a cool move. I I have no basis of comparison. So, to me, the songs were the songs and they were fine. I mean, I do, but it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I mean, it's just – this is – that's this Annie and that's yeah. how the songs sound and it's not – I mean, of course, I say this, and I was super pissed whenever they change anything in Rent. So I understand if if dork if you're if you're a big Annie fan, I mean, you get mad about Annie and uh, and Papa Warbucks being black. That's dumb. But if you're like, whoa, they kind of ruined the song because it sounds better the other way. Okay, maybe I can see where you're coming from. I I remember now. I remember not hating it because I went into this expecting it to be much worse. And then as we were watching, I was like, oh, no, that's why the little girl, she does all the heavy She's lifting. Great. Yeah. So that that's great. Bobby Cannavale, Rose Byrne, they're great. Uh, or the movie Falls, for me, is mainly Jamie Foxx. He, it, it feels it, like he's trying to, like, maintain this cool guy image or, you know, not to, like, ape off what you were saying in the first half of it. But it really does feel like he doesn't want to let his guard down too much. But you know what's funny? It's exactly how I felt about him in Dreamgirls. I don't know if you've seen Dreamgirls, but another musical. Yeah, yeah, another musical. And you can feel like everybody's into it except Jamie Foxx. There's a couple of shots of group numbers where he's kind of like singing in the background and he's barely moving his mouth. (laughs) It's like, are you embarrassed of being in a musical? Um, Which is weird because he is, I mean, he has sort of a career as a singer, right? He, He actually has albums out. Yeah, he was so you, back up on Kanye's first mega hit. <laughs> so, uh, also, like I told you when we we're watching, he's his voice is the one that stands out as not quite fitting. Uh, Flat. Yeah, I mean, I don't and know. It, don't get me wrong; it takes it takes some shots, but to get in there and do a musical in the first place. Well, yeah, but maybe, maybe his even if you you, you Russell Crowe it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But maybe the, part of his the weirdness in his performance is that he knows that his singing style doesn't match the material. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I, I know that that fucking song in the helicopter, the, the Jamie Foxx original, it's terrible. And yes, 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 yes. Partly because it also doesn't mesh with the other songs, the rest of the of the of the songs of music, but uh also because I, I guess it's just not good. Mm-hmm. Um and that and I don't find them particularly funny. Uh, I think he has a good couple of dramatic moments when um, when he finds out that she can't read 
I thought that he was good there. Yeah. Uh, when he stopped, he's watching her sleep and he's telling Rose Byrne that he needs to fix it, get her a tutor. That's good. Like the dramatic stuff, he works. But I, I just as a comedic actor, he just doesn't. It's not the first time that I've found myself not amused. What about like his stuff on In Living Color and um, more recently, I guess, comedically would be um... Double Date. No, what is what's that it called? Movie? Due Date. No, what's Kids. the movie that had Charlie Day and Jason Bateman? Horrible oh, Bosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible. Yeah. He's funny in Horrible yeah. Bosses. He is fucking over the top there, though. That's not what he's doing here. I mean, well, I guess he is when he's like cleaning his teeth and <laughs> when he's like faking eating the food. Yeah, that's such milk toast. Yeah. Middle America comedy type stuff. Uh, yeah. And I think the moments where he's supposed to shine are like so horribly executed on the, like from a direction writing standpoint, specifically the end where he withdraws from being mayor. That whole scene is so fucking rushed. And like the audience hasn't had time to recover from like, what was going on with those people that pretended to be your parents? They were like willing to die. <laughs> so I'm guessing that that doesn't happen in the, in the original Annie. The big high speed chase to rescue Annie from to from my the recollection, <laughs> it does not. I would imagine it gets uh, it all gets wrapped up pretty nicely. Unless... I mean, it does here too. But then there's just like, well, right, but prior or after a, a lengthy <laughs> just, action just sequence, like, kind of volley has the suitcase from uh, Pulp Fiction just opens <laughs> it up, and those two people say, "Oh, okay, we know what we must do." Uh, Rose Byrne, early contender for the the Embry. Well, her and Cannavale, I think they both... I, I think I mean, this is like the fourth episode in a row where I've referred to someone as an early contender for the Embry. It's a strong season. <laughs> it's a very strong season. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, I come to expect that from Bobby Cannavale, though. Just Yes, yeah, you're right. I mean, Cannavale is playing a Cannavale type, but yeah. Rose Byrne, she has... Because she always, even here in this movie, she gets stuck with kind of the uptight British lady. She's Australian, right? I believe so. Yeah, yeah, so the uptight Australian lady. And in uh, here, she's playing that, but like you mentioned on Contrarian's Corner, she gets cut loose a couple of times. And she genuinely seems like she's enjoying herself. Yeah, I I think that one of the reasons why I find myself, I wouldn't say won over by the movie, but not willing to be too harsh on it, is because Jamie Foxx aside, I feel like everybody's really doing their best. And again, similar to what you're saying about Jamie Foxx, it, Cameron Diaz is really giving it a go. It's just what she's doing it doesn't work for me specifically. Yeah, same thing. I kind of get the feeling that it's the character's not working the way it should. And I don't know if a different actress would have done it better or a different director would have done it better. Uh, and- it's so weird for a movie that feels so long. It still feels like there's these parts that need to be expanded on more to like be more impactful it's the things they spent time on just didn't need to be spent time on like i literally i I went to call it a montage in a contrarian's corner but it really it's just a series of scenes that see i think it goes on for like legitimately 20 to 30 minutes where it's just like annie and stacks growing doing stuff yeah yeah it's okay that's another thing that my homeboy that you read off in the first half about the endless the bankrupt uh remakes yeah creatively bankrupt hollywood we're dealing with also a huge thing a problem a fucking uh detriment i was gonna say cancer but that's a bit intense but (laughs) this massive error in judgment that has come along and is just now accepted is that leave everything in don't cut anything from the movie yeah Uh, the audience will watch it and you know that's 
Julio and I have had conversations off the microphone about him trying to sell me on the Avengers franchise. Cause again, I know I've mentioned this, but if this is your first time listening, I haven't seen a Marvel movie since age of Ultron. We've had a few on microphone. <laughs> we have, but it's been more like off where you're explaining it to me about the big ones earn the run times. Like, Oh yeah. yeah like yeah. Uh, end game. And what was the one before infinity war? Mm-hmm. Those according to you yeah. are earn the three hour runtime, but it's the shit in between. I don't want to see a fucking two and a half hour Thor movie. <laughs> It's unnecessary. And much like this, Annie here, to get to the fucking point of this episode, there's no fucking reason this needed to be a second longer than 90 minutes. You can tell the story you need to in there. I agree. Uh, um, Just to go back to like the Thor movie, maybe it's just Thor 3. (laughs) You know, like I think that you have to build up to the epic runtime. And that was my problem with, uh, I think it was Aquaman. I watched it. It's like two hours and 45 minutes. Exactly. I was like, it's his first movie. You don't have to. I I understand the temptation of putting everything in because you don't know if you're going to get it. You're you're not going to get another shot, right? So you might as well get everything in there. But to me, when I see a runtime. Wouldn't you rather just have something sharp? Right. But I don't think that that's. No, that's gone. We we left that behind a long time ago. Like the window to save America from Trump. <laughs> that that ship has sailed. Now you have to go by two hours at least. Yeah. Uh, but here, yeah, I mean, I would give it one forty-five. Maybe I I'm a little more tolerant than you. I, I can go up to two hours without getting antsy. Anything that's over two hours, even if it's two hours and one minute, I'm like, really, you can cut a minute out of this. Yeah. Um, especially some of it, you. you you know, you'll have what seven minutes, ten minutes worth of credits and credits. So I can I can work with that. Uh, how long is this movie? It's like two on the dot, two hours. You could have cut the Jamie Foxx song uh, and the helicopter. You could have cut at least twenty minutes of this movie. You could have cut the uh, the whole subplot about the the Batcave and the phones because really social media still works just as social media. It could have just like it could have been a forty five second scene. Where she's like, hey, can you help me find my parents? And he just like fucking looks for them on Facebook or something like that. Right. I mean, once you establish that she's a viral sensation, then all you need to do. I mean, it happened in real life. Did, were you thinking about um, what was it? it? It was one of those bombings where basically Twitter worked together for the greater good. And mm-hmm. they identified one of the suspects. Yeah. And it was just through people collaborating on Twitter. And basically you do the same thing. With Annie getting lost. It's, oh, she, it's a celebrity getting lost and, and people see, that, have seen her in, in the car. That was like such conflicting messages to me too because I, I think you can present Twitter. I've tried to explain this to my parents. Like, no, it may seem like garbage, but like there's – there are things about it that can be good for people. Yes. And, and like good in solving things and especially in reacting in real time. But then, you know, a half hour earlier in the movie, it's telling you like – it's a bad thing what we're doing. So yeah, well, also, pick I mean, going back to that same story with the bomber and the witness or whatever, Twitter also pointed out like a bunch of people that were innocent <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, got yeah. harassed. So it's really this is a kids movie, so we wouldn't expect it to go that deep. No, but, this is more of just our conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, as far as, as, as streaming the fat, get rid of that whole thing, and then now you have a movie that's an hour forty, mm-hmm. an hour fifty. Maybe it's just it's a lot more palatable. Uh, yeah. It does drag when it gets. It's funny because usually when you get to the big medley, uh, the climatic medley in a musical, that's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And here, it's probably the lowest energy medley I've ever heard, which is uh, Jamie Foxx, uh, Covanjane, Wallace, and Cameron Diaz in separate locations, but they're all singing about the same thing. Yeah, And it's just 
God, put me out of my misery. Just move over to the to the climax. Uh, so yeah, I feel your pain as far as you know the length. And we jest about it a lot on here, and it's not a rule of mine that a movie can't go over an hour and a half. It's just <laughs> I think um, too many people got it in their head that that's okay, and then you end up with things like Wolf of Wall Street. You know what's funny is that at least for and you end up with. An Aquaman movie that is two hours and forty five minutes long. It yes, the 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 funny thing is that really exhibition wise, it works in your favor to have a shorter movie. Shorter movies mean more show times. Yeah, longer movies means that it's a lot harder to to fit those three. I love Endgame, but you know it's like if your movie three but hours for long. For normal theater, you could only have four showings a day. Yeah, unless you start opening like it. Eight in the fucking morning for one theater, but then I assume you guys or most places probably have it on three screens, four screens, something like yeah, that. Yeah, that too. I mean, they just but yeah, it doesn't make sense, and that's also the shit adds up, and that's why three D is a fucking thing because you can charge more for it, and that's why tickets are more. And bottom line, your any movie does not need to be <laughs> two hours long. But on the other side of that, the other point that you were making as far as remakes, uh, and it's not, it's the point that was made incidentally. I think if you're going to remake Annie, you have to make it count. And making making her black makes it count. I mean, they did they succeed up for debate. And this but... is nowhere to me personally. This is nowhere near offen- as offensive of um it doesn't feel like just a solo's cash grab like a Ninja Turtles or you know these things, these franchises they try to reboot. Uh this is a genuine thing. These Broadway there's a there are metrics we can point to that say these are successful. This movie made a good amount of money. And also it's not just, all right, just do it again. It's they at least tried to do something a little different. They tried to appeal to a new market. They tried to give people uh, that wouldn't necessarily get work in this elsewhere work. Kavanjane Wallace, something like that. So there are redeeming things to it. And I mean, yeah. I wonder how it all happened. Well, actually, you did say that it was Will Smith trying to find a vehicle for his daughter. Yeah, so uh, the, the germ of the idea was from a place of uh, <laughs> egotism. But you know. at the same time, just I mean, Will Smith's daughter, she's black. It still would have been an interesting it would have been something thing. Different. Yeah. You know, I'm down with that as long as if your remake has something new to say – or it's made into something new just because of the the fact that it's being released now instead of 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, then mm-hmm. then that makes it worth it, uh, at least as, as an attempt. And then how you pull it off, that's a different story. And also the dragging part of it is when you are rebooting something or remaking, especially a musical, uh, take a note from this movie. Let's say it's just a matter of time whenever they reboot Grease. So uh, whenever that happens save some of the original songs for the second half too. Cause that's what made the first half of this so palatable and enjoyable for me was those like, yes, the classic Annie songs. And then the second half is all the new shit. And then I'm just like, no. Well, I mean, it would have been better if the new shit was good. Yeah, that's fair too. Yeah. I mean, it's cause like the movie because Bolt, uh, <laughs> that ended with the original song. That was the highlight of the movie. That movie could have been shit, but I walked out of there hearing that song, so I was like, fuck yeah, Bolt. Right, because let's say that they remake Grease. It's not like they can put Grease lighting at when? the end of the movie. When? <laughs> when? Travolta playing the principal. Oh, God, it's true. <laughs> In drag. No, 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 no. Travolta's going to play Vince Vontaine. Yes, of course. 
Put your mittens around your kittens and away we go. Oh, it's been too long. Uh, <laughs> he was part of our life for so long. Uh, my mom had a family member in from out of town that I hadn't seen in probably since I was a little kid. And she was explaining to her. She was trying to explain to her what we do on our podcast. My mom's only listened like five episodes. and But then she's like, and then last summer, what was it? The summer of Travolta? And <laughs> And then so I had to explain to this uh, very, very nice woman in her late 60s, like, yeah, Tron Travolta's made good movies and he's made bad movies, you know? So. And she was nodding and listing all the movies that we trash as the good movies. <laughs> she was just like, oh, yeah. And I was like, you know, Saturday Night Fever, Grease, these good ones. And I was like, Battlefield Earth? No? <laughs> okay. Uh, I love me that phenomenon. <laughs> what was the one I fucking hated? Uh basic basic yeah i was gonna say brick but that was uh ryan johnson <laughs> anyway annie good kavanjane wallace agreed? yes oh yeah rose Byrne. Uh, yes i don't think we're ever gonna have a bad word to say about bobby cannavale on this i podcast. dread that day <laughs> uh jamie fox really brings it down and i don't think it's necessarily his fault it's just i don't think he should be a musical you're not gonna cast alone in something like this it's it's it just doesn't work sometimes. Jamie Foxx works in is obviously a great actor, but that doesn't being a great actor. Not everyone's Meryl Streep. It doesn't translate to every at like faucet. Or, right. Uh, I, I've liked Jamie Foxx in other things. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm glad you brought up horrible, uh, horrible bosses because yeah, I liked him in that. I thought he was he was hilarious. But uh, I think you just needed somebody with a different kind of charisma and. Uh, I know Will Smith's plan was never to play the Jamie Foxx character, but if he had done it... He's on I'd... my shit list right now, man. For? I saw the full trailer for the Aladdin movie. Oh. <laughs> okay, but this is before Aladdin. This is Will Smith in 2014. This is also we, we before st- Trump, but we couldn't help but see that. <laughs> we... I mean, we still like we him have in 2014. Any conservative listeners, they're they're done after this episode. I don't know. I, I have... I know some cool conservatives that just laugh about this. <laughs> Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, Will Smith, yeah, I mean, he has—he's he more likable. Uh, I don't know if he's done a musical, but I mean, he was the Fresh Prince. Oh, well, of course, which is referenced in this movie. Is it? Yeah, when uh, Jamie Foxx is serving mashed potatoes, he's like in West Philadelphia, born and raised. Oh, in yeah. Where I spent most of my days. Um, yeah, Will Smith. I mean, there are a few more inherently likable people that have ever walked this planet than that guy. I mean, if to- he's he's the black Tom Hanks. Yeah. I was about to say Tom Hanks could do it, but then you don't want to do the movie about Tom why Hanks, do To be fair, Tom him. Hanks never did get in jiggy with it. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously blanking. It's late and went way deeper into Annie than most people would. So I'm yeah. kind of blanking on who. I, You know, the, the sadist in me for part of this was just wishing it was Terrence Howard. <laughs> he would get the crying right. I don't know, Annie. <laughs> <laughs> when he finds out she can't read. That's just... <laughs> Five minutes. Hold her hand. <laughs> Me either, Annie. <laughs> uh, one thing that we jested about in the first portion that we do rightfully need to point out is just shitty writing. Like, they twice come back to this Rose Byrne, Jamie Foxx love story that is non-existent for 90% of the movie. But see, that I don't think that you need to write it more in if you have 
two actors that have chemistry because there's a lot of that that's non-verbal. It's just that it doesn't happen because there's no chemistry between Jamie Foxx and Rose Byrne. There's more chemistry between her and Bobby Cannavale. I mean, you you hadn't seen the movie, so you didn't know what was coming, and you thought that the story was going to be about the two of them getting together. Yeah, because they have chemistry. <laughs> right. Shocker. <laughs> but Jamie Foxx and, and Rose Byrne, they... I mean, they... It's I buy them like as Gluck co-workers. told him like, don't don't spoil the- <laughs> each other at all. Don't spoil the big twist. Yeah. Because there's not even like a side eye or a glance or a smirk or anything. There is nothing. The closest it comes, and it's after the movie has already kind of hinted at it when, when Annie asks Rose Byrne, hey, don't you like him? Mm-hmm. Uh, but later when they're watching her sleep and, and Jamie Foxx is having that that speech about how, well, I need to fix this. I'm going to get her a tutor. And Rose Byrne is right behind him. And she's really just, I mean, they're almost like face to face as they're watching her sleep. And you can kind of see how with two actors that have chemistry, that would have been a really cool, intimate shot. But with them, it just just doesn't work. And it might be part of what you were saying that Jamie Foxx just didn't open up. Yeah. So there's no vulnerability. There's, you can't, have him have that connection with anybody uh but yeah you get to the end he gets down on one knee it's like you don't buy it. who cares no i was not invested at all in that relationship i buy his relationship with the little girl i guess that's the thing my whole experience of watching this movie i will remember it as kavanjane wallace is great when rose Byrne wasn't on screen with her i wanted her to be and then, like, consistently forgetting cameron diaz was in it until i cut back to her and be like oh yeah yeah, yeah cameron diaz because, uh, I mean, obviously, the old adage in pro wrestling, when you retire, you go out on your back. And <laughs> that's what she did here. So She's she's good. I know we already talked about this. But I think, I mean, she's not she's not bad. I'll say, no. It's like I told you when we were watching about Bobby Cannavale. You can't say that he's not trying. And the same thing goes for, for Cameron Diaz. She's, yeah. she's being very cartoonish, very... You, you were definitely right in the first portion. She... I guess that might be it. There's a lot of parts that work against each other in this in that it feels like the performances are coming from different movies and hers specifically is exactly what you said. It feels like a Disney feels like uh Susan Sarandon and enchanted type of thing. <laughs> so ratings as we go to, I mean, I'd probably give it a C plus just based on the actual merit of what grades mean. I can't say it was above average, but I think there was good intentions on a lot of fronts, and again, um, sometimes that's the way ch- we've talked about before child actors. Sometimes they just kind of do it, and they don't have any interest in doing it past being mm-hmm. a kid. Selfishly, I think Wallace had a lot of talent, and she was so good in Beast of Southern Wild. I thought that movie as a whole was kind of overrated. I thought it got kind of overhyped, but that doesn't take away from her performance one bit yeah. in one way. And then here, again, just kind of reaffirmed that she had a fucking knack for it, but the worst thing you can do is force a kid to consistently keep doing that as time is proven. Like with Rose Byrne, it looks like she's having fun. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And then the two people in there that look like they're having a good time. Kenavale doesn't because he looks evil because he's committed to his craft, I'll tell you what. <laughs> he's hanging out with his wife. <laughs> he's like, oh, she gets to punch me in the face later. All right. Uh, so, yeah, C+, plus because there is some really genuine effort in there. Unfortunately, just some of the movies failings kind of are to its detriment and the runtime is it's it's part of a bigger problem that isn't necessarily just exclusive to this movie it's just the cutting room floor does not mean what it used to yeah i i wonder just 
as one last thing on this runtime thing, I wonder if it's also part of an expectation now on the audiences. I wonder how many people feel that a longer movie is a better movie. You know what I mean? And, and if that translates into the studios deciding, well, we got to give them, it's not worth their time if it's not a holiday movie that's over two hours. Which is just completely asinine. And, but, you know, it could be happening. The, one of the Expendables movie was like two hours. I was like, why? Why? <laughs> As if I haven't plugged good time enough. <laughs> Complex movie. A lot of shit happens. 90 minutes on the dot. <laughs> You can do it if you are skilled enough, you are disciplined enough. I think that's the biggest thing. But, of course, Gluck, if the studio is just saying you have two hours, it's very possible they say, hey, we need the movie to be this long, and that's why there's all this fucking unnecessary filler in there. Yeah, well, they're like, you need to have the original song, otherwise what gets nominated at the Oscars? So, <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that's the reason that most of those original songs are there, just so that they can compete on that field. They can submit for your consideration. Yeah. Uh, that is a shame, though. We didn't get Jamie Foxx performing in monotone his original song at the, <laughs> Just auto the 2015 Oscars with Jean Dujardin up there dancing behind him. Uh, my score, I'm between a two and a half and three stars. Oh, man. I think it's a two and a half movie. You go on a four-star scale, don't no, you? No, five. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> I'm not Roger Ebert. Okay, I, you're, I was concerned there for a second. No, no, no. I think it's a 2.5 movie with a few three-star performances. Cataballi, uh, uh, Rose Byrne, and of course, uh, Convention Wallace. They're, they're better than the movie, and they're in the movie so much that I think it tilts towards a three-star. Uh, I think that kids would enjoy it, too. Yeah, they they just so look. This is a kids movie, and the message is still there. That is a good message for kids. So yeah. we can deconstruct all we want. I think pretty much a lot of this has just been more of complaining about general issues with the film industry as opposed to this specifically. But it's not one of those kids movies that has some weird ass backwards message. It's still the intention is good in there, and so that's kind of what's important. Yeah, it's it's that's good. That's a good a good note to end on. Uh, <laughs> real talk. All right, so that concludes real talk. Our next episode will be. Uh, so this releases on the fifteenth. Yes, sir. Seventeenth is livestream for the cure. Hell yeah! We'll be on it on the eighteenth. Um, I guess we'll run the promo right here. It's the last time we run the promo because it's the last episode before the live stream. Justin, can you believe it's almost time? Time for what? The 2019 live stream for The Cure. This is our third year hosting this amazing event with every single cent going toward cancer research. The Cancer Research Institute funds research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. And this amazing nonprofit organization is rated over 92% by CharityNavigator.org and puts 88 cents of every dollar toward cancer research. Last year, thanks to an amazing team of collaborators, fans, supporters, and listeners, we raised over $5,000 in 30 hours on the air. And this year, with your help, 
we're going for our biggest goal yet. Tune in May 17th to the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of amazing content as we try to reach $7,500. For more information or to find out how you can become a part of the event, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. So that's the live stream for the cure number three from May 17th to the 19th. Uh, we'll be there on the 18th from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. By now, you've heard our two bonus warm up episodes. Hell yeah. So you know that the movie we'll be doing is Basic Instinct 2. The Deuce. The Deuce. Watch it. You can watch the first one if you want to, just as, as a lead up, or you can just go in cold and watch the second one. Uh, if you haven't seen the first one for some reason, that's what uh, Nick from the Epic Film Guys is doing. Either way, we'll be talking about it. It's rotten. We'll be talking about it like it's a great movie. And then if we have time, we'll get to some real talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's live stream for The Cure. Uh, and then our next official episode is Aladdin speaking. Damn, I realized Smith. that was already coming up. Yeah, the original Aladdin, not the, not the Will Smith Aladdin. I love this podcast. It's something I'm very proud of, but you would not be able to get me to watch the new one. <laughs> what if it gets such good reviews that... I don't give a shit. What if it's just a bad trailer? Again, all these fucking Marvel movies, all 97% or whatever, I, it's still not going to get me out there to see it. What if it's only 90 minutes? <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you had my attention. <laughs> now you have my curiosity. <laughs> Uh, we'll see, but awesome. It's going to be fucking Paul Blart levels of difficult to be negative about <laughs> Aladdin. Cause I love that movie and we'll probably cry. I usually cry at the end of that movie. So, really? Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, so I, I just, I don't remember well, when he frees him. Yes. It could happen now. I'm, I'm a lot more sensitive now than, you know, 10 years ago, <laughs> which for the last time I watched Aladdin. Awesome. So Aladdin is on deck. That's going to be episode number... Uh, 83, 84. Okay. So we're in the 80s now. <laughs> we are. All right. So wrapping up the podcast, as we always do, moving to plugs. The Festive Year is providing our opening and closing tracks. Opening track is Last Stand, closing track, Summer of 99. Again, that's the Festive Years. We do appreciate them. Uh, let yeah, us use their music. Yeah. And our logo, our logo. creator. Uh, Hans Rodgieser from the podcast Nacion Combi. He also does logos, comics. Uh, you can contact him at mildemonios at hotmail.com. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Uh, you can listen to his podcast, Nacion Combi. He's on Twitter at mildemonios. Uh, and starting this past week, uh, he they just released their first TV episode. So I guess some sort of a oh, wow. digital... Uh, video platform a digital channel i don't know you know i, I it, it's it's a peruvian digital distributor or something but anyway they're basically just video casting their podcast in addition to just having them as a podcast and they they showed like his first episode it was on facebook that's awesome this morning yeah it's it's great because obviously i know hands we go way back but his two co-hosts i don't know them so to see them uh, just Oh, now I know what they look like. I know what they look like when they're talking. <laughs> I know what they look like when they're laughing and when they're just poking fun at each other. So it's it's like an added experience. Um, it was it was a lot of fun to just get to listen and see one of their episodes. That was that was pretty cool. But anyway, 
Talk to Hans if you want logos, if you want comics. Listen to his podcast if you want to know what's up in Peru and you know Spanish so you can understand it. Do you have any plugs, Alex Mattis? Uh, small one. <laughs> Played some video games. No, uh, Adam Sandler hosted SNL this past weekend. Oh. Yeah. They were saying it was the first time he's ever hosted. And I was like, that cannot be true. But who knows? Anyway, I think I feel like I mentioned it on here before that uh, it was going around from one of his uh, live shows. He wrote a song about Chris Farley and performed it. I, th- I felt like I mentioned it on here before. But anyway, uh, the video was going around of him at one of his like arena shows, like his comedy events. And then he performed this song about Chris Farley. But then he. So it's a, it's like a, a funny song or is it a, a sad? It's it gets rough. Like, cause, uh, it's like, it's basically the story of how he met him and how he's funny and then how he really liked to party and then how he told him he needs to slow down. He's going to end up dead and Farley didn't listen to him. And then he talks about how he, they buried him and like, so it's, uh, and it's not, it's not like Adam Sandler insinuates. I alone told him to stop, but cause you've heard that's always been the story with Farley. Like, He's like the only person I've ever heard of that died like that. There's no one that's like, man, I wish I would have said something. Like everybody everyone told, told him. him. Yeah. Uh, Joey Diaz had a story with a complete sidebar. Joey Diaz had a story the last time he saw Farley. He said, I think he said it was in LA at a strip club and he was just by himself. Just like looked like shit, sweating profusely, just drinking like crazy and just like throwing money at strippers and stuff. He said it was a really, really sad thing. But anyway, it's frustrating because it reminds you that Adam Sandler is somewhere in there as a talented human being. And, uh, again, the Adam Sandler complex is, uh, I guess the one I have with him is I can be mad at him for squandering what I perceive to be talents that he has, but he also has more money than most people in the world have. So he, so who's, who's winning? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who's the joke on anyway, I saw this song performed before, uh, it was on. There's a clip on YouTube from his Netflix special of it, and it was it was good. But this one, like, because he does it on the SNL stage, and it was the way they closed the show. He like Sandler like gets like close to breaking down a few times through it, and it's it's a weird thing to process because of how I feel about Adam Sandler and all that. But also, he was such a big part of my childhood. So was Chris Farley, and then watching him as an adult like try to cope with this and make this, you know, write this song to kind of. I guess the closure or of processing and whatnot. It's a very fascinating five minutes of television to watch. So uh, it's on YouTube so we can link it in the mm. plug section. But if nothing else, if you don't watch anything uh, this week, just take five minutes to watch that. Cause it's a really fascinating piece of business. If you do have more than five minutes uh, when Emma Stone hosted SNL a few weeks ago, <laughs> that Korean boy band BTS was a musical guest. And I have been fascinated with them ever since then. <laughs> So just watch their shit on YouTube because they are incredible dancers. It's they were the first musical act ever on SNL that performed in a language other than English. Really? Yeah, and they're like a sensation. The in times South are Korea. changing. Yeah, and they're all just like hotter than most chicks, <laughs> and like incredible dancers, good singers, and all that. It's it's a fascinating thing. So just SNL heavy plugs this week, but. uh Julio, what do you got for us? Uh, I watched Batman Returns because did you see it got re-released? Uh, Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman Robin are getting like special theater shows. 
Phylum oh, events. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. I did see that because my buddy uh, Kip on Twitter posted about he got to go see Batman for the first time ever on the big screen. Yeah. Same here. Uh, Batman and Batman Returns. I assume they're digital. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Come on. Batman is just kind of like what I remember. I appreciate it. I don't love it the way people love it. Batman Returns was better than I remembered. And that's really? all, I've always said that that was the superior one out of the two burner ones. But it was, it was great. I try not to hold it against you. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen it recently? I watched it a few years back. It's so good, man. I had it looks great. It's and maybe it's that it I'd watched them almost back to back. And so having watched the first one, it the second one really builds on it, uh, in the sense that I think Keaton is a lot more comfortable as Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. in it and uh yeah, Burton is just I mean, the the bad suit's always gonna suck in those movies, but I think that by the time he got to Batman Returns, he had kind of learned to sh- shoot around it to where Batman doesn't look so stiff. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer, never gonna just, can never fault the movie for that. She is just, I mean, she's better than I remember. But you know, you remember the big things. You remember the the suit and the whip and the meow. But there's stuff that she does as Selena Kyle that's just so good. And the. It's the scene with her walking in the office is so tense. It's great. <laughs> After she survived the the fall, like is that what you're talking about? Like when she no, when he like pushes her out. Oh, like, oh okay, that yeah, is, like super tense. It's great. Yeah. So Batman Returns. If you haven't seen it in a while, or if you've never seen it, check it out. I would. Oh, if you've never seen it, it's definitely worth the viewing. <laughs> yeah, I would recommend watching the first Batman and then follow up with Batman Returns, so you're like fully caught up. There are a couple like of uh, Vicky Vale jokes that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed in Batman Returns. I, I, in my mind, they kind of ignored Vicky Vale in the sequel, yeah. But no, they actually acknowledge it. Yeah, and it, it's really good. So Batman Returns. That's my plug. Excellent. So that's going to conclude Annie. That's going to conclude this episode of the Contrarians. Uh, we will be back for Aladdin. Yes. Visiting the the Disney franchise, but before that, just listen to us on the live stream. Yes, again, be sure to check us out on live stream to the Cure. We will be on May eighteenth, eighteenth, five p.m. to six p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Perfect. Be sure to donate as we will be doing a raffle for uh, the Blu-ray copy of uh, Basic Instinct Two, uh, theatrical cut and extended cut. It's a twofer. It's a twofer. It's it's two extra minutes of just hardcore. <laughs> Unrated <laughs> Sharon Stone, uh, David Morrissey action. Oh, Jesus, that's gonna be a chore. Oh, dude, it's gonna be great. Well, until then, we will continue to be right, you will be wrong, and we will catch you on the live stream for the cure. That's not-